Joe, how do you say it in Japanese? And how do you say it in English? Thanks, man. Welcome back to Writers Read the Early Shit conversations with authors and artists about the lopsided pleasures of their pre developed, over early, unripe work. I'm your host, Jason Emdy, and my very special guest this episode、uh, is the author of two books the novel The Prairie Bridesmaid and the travel memoir Don't Try This at Home. Her journalism and stories have appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Globe and Mail. And she lives in Winnipeg with her husband, their two children, and a cat named Craig. Huh. She describes herself as a perpetual wanderer, gets lost all the time. Uh, her first published piece was How I Spent My Summer Vacation. And her best friend when she was a kid was a baby cow. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished listeners, it's Daria Solomon. How's that? Great. Thank you so much for the lovely intro. My pleasure. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. So you're in Winnipeg. Is it, I guess, nighttime there now?、Uh, it's nighttime. It's. I feel like it's been nighttime for like six months. <laughs> This is like、mm. really, really dark and really cold here.、Uh, we've had, yeah, we're, we live in a deep freeze really this year. <laughs> I've never been to Winnipeg. I've heard that it's a surprisingly cool place for artists. Is that true? It is. It really is. Like there's,、um, There's a lot of neat artists that come out of Winnipeg.、Um, I don't know, like the filmmaker、um, Guy Madden. Do you know him? Not sure that I do. Okay. He's, yeah, he's kind of a world,、uh, world renowned filmmaker, but he's quite、um, artistic and experimental in his films.、Um, the Weaker Lands, the band, I don't know if you know them. I do know them, yes. Yeah. And they have the infamous song, I hate Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's uh, it's kind of. I always feel like it's like ironic and it's a love song. So anyway, yeah, it's. I think because it's uh, it is so lit. Like the climate is really challenging here, and I do think it makes for creating art because you know we've just come out of a really long cold winter, and so yeah, I just find them like hold up in my office writing and creating, and、mm. yeah, I'm not distracted by you know. Doing stuff, giant birds. Yeah, doing stuff, <laughs> mountains, and because <laughs>、yeah. it's prairies, it's very flat here, and you know, but、uh, it's a neat place. So someday, someday, I'm gonna make it to Winnipeg, but we'll okay, see. Okay, well, I'll host you when you come. Okay, yeah, with some wine. You know, there's a lot of wine drinking in your travel memoir there, so <laughs> I expect a lot of wine when I show up. Okay, <laughs> no shortage, no shortage. <laughs> All right.、Um, Okay, I got a couple questions for you, Daria, just to, you know, sort of find out about your, what is it called now? We've got to call it your process, I suppose. <laughs>、um, although I hate that word and I hate that question. Here's a better、mm-hmm. question If all your thoughts so far today appeared as text above your head so that everybody could see them, how many people would you have deeply offended? And would you still be married? <laughs> Oh, good question.、Um, yeah, I would have offended, yeah, probably my family. My husband's very tolerant of my writing, <laughs> my,、mm-hmm. my thoughts. So, so he's okay. He's, he's got a tough skin about it all. But、um, 
Yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't uh, like, I, I feel like um, I disguise um, people really well. So maybe like in my thought bubbles, people might not recognize <laughs> themselves. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, my first novel was largely autobiographical and, and, um, you know, I remember, um, you know, one, one guy and, um, who I know, and he, he was kind of a villain in the book and he, he came up to me and he just said how much he loved the book. And, and I just, I don't think he recognized himself. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. but it was actually him. You know, it was him. Yeah. Yeah. It was him. It was like just blatantly. I just, I, I, I was actually terrified when he asked me for the book because I just thought, oh, this is terrible when somebody wants to read something you've written and you just blatantly written terrible things about right. yeah. I just thought he was going to come after me with a knife. Um, but yeah, I guess that's ego, right? You know, yeah, he didn't, uh, d didn't recognize himself. I mean, I, I, I put some like weak disguises uh, on, on him, but yeah yeah he's, he's chasing the character around in the in the novel and he sort of chased me around in real life and so yeah <laughs> that is so funny though that he does <laughs> this is great i especially like the character of you know frank you know yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was harold this is guy named harold he's a terrible character like he's a really funny villain but you you would not no one would want to identify that as themselves <laughs> yeah Okay, well, that leads perfectly into my next question, which was, although I sort of know the answer to this already, you know, have you ever gotten into trouble for, for writing something or for publishing something? But there is that bit in um, your travel book, uh, the essay that appeared in the Globe and Mail, and then you got a bunch, of, a bunch of stick, I guess, from people calling you a bad parent and a terrible person because you, you let your yeah. kid wander off. Yeah. What was that mm -hmm. like? Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was like, um, I have two experiences with that. And that, the one with the glow and mail was, a, was kind of a serious one where, yeah, P I published this piece and I, I, I feel like the people who, who attacked me a little bit and it wasn't that bad, but just missed the point of the piece. Um, mm. because the whole purpose of the piece was talking about how, when we were traveling around the world, like just to put it in context, we took our two children who were five and eight at the time to about 20 countries over the course of a year and just did a, did basically a trip around the world. And so, yeah, when we were in Thailand, my daughter wandered off and we just like for half an hour, we did not know where she went and, and, um, you know, yeah, it was hands down the worst half hour of my life. Um, but what was interesting was that, you know, the whole, the, like the idea of children, you know, wandering. And I mean, you're in another part of the world, so maybe you can speak to this, Jason, but like when here it's just, um, we just live in this fear of, of like people want to abduct our children at all times and all strangers are evil and stranger mm -hmm. danger. And one of the things we learned around the world was actually that, um, children are quite beloved around the world and quite protected. And this idea that people want to snatch your children, it's like very North American um, concept. And so when we were um, in other, many other countries, we just found um, people like gravitated toward children in, in the protective sense to like take care of them and like, you know, celebrate them and like, you know, and then, so, yeah, we just kind of lost that, that whole idea of like, you know, cause if in Canada or the U S you lost your child for half an hour, I mean, it would be on the news. It would, you know, it would be, mm. yeah. And so, um, as we travel, this was toward the end of our trip, as we traveled, we just kind of really let that guard down. And so then, yeah, my, and my kids developed a real sense of confidence, um, uh, to go off and, 
be confident and be themselves. And so, yeah, my daughter kind of wandered off because she was just being independent. And um, so, so people here read that. And so that my point was just, you know, the beauty of the trip was just let it like that leash becomes longer. And we lost that sense of fear um, and mistrust about strangers. It was really lovely. And I felt like I wrote that. And, but then, yeah, people just like, couldn't get past the fact that in Thailand, I didn't know where my daughter was for 30 minutes. And so uh, they, they found that really challenging and <laughs> like a terrible parent you're a terrible person and must be smoking up and all that stuff that yeah. kind of connects to to for me the most interesting part of your half of the book is your when you come back and you find it very hard to fit back into you thought you could just slot right back into your life as you left it but your year away it changed you so much that you couldn't right and i think mm -hmm. it's things like that that you probably wouldn't have thought before, right? You might've thought, okay, I'm going to come back as a different person, but I'm going to come yeah. back with different ideas about my children's safety, you know, and how my neighbors are going to think about that and so on. Uh, exactly. And yeah, yeah, I found that part of the book really compelling. Like your values shift, like when yeah. you go to different places, like different parts of the world have different values. And so we had the rare opportunity to kind of like pick and choose and adopt all the best values from around the world. Right. And right. then bring them home with us. But then we kind of came back to this where, where right. The, everybody else was, just, yeah, I hadn't had that experience. And yeah, it was really challenging to fit back in after that, after that year away. With your Canadian friends and the people in Winnipeg and so on, do a lot of them travel? Like, do you have, yeah, can you talk to them about, about travel? Like, do they yeah. have their big trip to, Colorado, and that's what they want to talk about. And you're saying, well, yeah, I uh, I lost my daughter in Thailand. Uh, <laughs> I win, or or what? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, it's pretty pretty rare to just be able to take a take a stage exit right out, out of your life for a year and and go traveling. But the one thing about living um, here, I find, is that people do travel. Like that. That's kind of like the one. You know, coming back to that idea, Winnipeg is is like, you know, it's a really interesting place to be but it's also like there's nothing around here so you're you're um you have you're forced to to almost to get on a plane to go somewhere and people do because it's you know very like long isolating winters so i, mm -hmm. I do find i'm like you know surrounded by people who have been places uh which is you know helpful as opposed to just like you said people who have never been anywhere right yeah i was disappointed when you guys rejected japan on your travel itinerary because of the cost of what the shots against what is it japanese oh, encephalitis yeah. that the reason we said, we're not let's not go to japan you know <laughs> well, it did it was like some budgetary it was like a really trip on the cheap like i mean we were staying in hostels and camp we camped for two two straight months like um so yeah and those i remember those encephalitis shots were like Fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. Yeah, like yeah. each. I think maybe. Yeah, that was expensive. Again, you. If I'm welcome in Winnipeg, you're welcome here with all kinds of wine and sake. All and, right, yeah, we'll do anytime. it. We'll do an exchange. <laughs> Daria, were you always a, a big reader? Uh, yeah, I was a reader. Um, I'm trying to think like what kind, like I don't, I wasn't reading, you know, capital L literature per se, but I I read a lot of um, 
I, re- I remember reading like the entire Sweet Valley High series. <laughs> Sweet Valley High, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, but a little too girly for, for me. I, you know, yeah, for the, two twins. Yeah. It was Hardy Boys for us, you know, for the guys. Yeah, and I remember my brother had the entire Hardy Boys series, which is interesting, right? Because at that time period, I, you know, I, w- I was reading Sweet Valley High. My brother was reading Hardy Boys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure my daughter would pick up the Hardy Boys, like in a heartbeat. I don't even know if she'd touch Nancy Drew. I remember reading Nancy Drew though, actually. Sweet Valley High, if I'm if I'm correctly mistaken, isn't that just the adventures of a some twin sisters? Super at, in high spoiled, school? wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Super spoiled. Super blonde. Wealthy. Yeah, wealthy. <laughs> It's terrible. It's terrible stuff. <laughs> I wish I, you know, I mean, I read, but I read a lot of, you know, before that I read lots of kids books, like children's books. I, you know, like, like all kids, right. I was enamored with, with children's books, but sure. yeah, I, when I got into my teen years, yeah, it was, I, I was pretty trashy reader, I think, um, till I mer- emerged out of that phase when I was younger. Uh, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but I'm sure I read a Danielle Steele or two. <laughs> I think you did on your trip. Don't you admit to that? <laughs> Did I? Yeah. Oh God, I was so hungry for books. I would read yes. anything. You know, anything yeah. in the hostel on the hostel shelf. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Born identity. I think I read yeah. the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I left my like you know bookshelves of literature back yeah, home. Yeah. But I do think like that uh, those books that are you know less serious I, I do think they teach you about you know genre and story structure and all sure. of that kind of, you know, and like- do you i i have to make a conscious decision sometimes to stop reading super duper serious big books all the time you know i mean there are so many books that i think i should probably read you know i don't have mm-hmm. to but I yeah. should. And I'm looking forward to like Proust. Yes. I I'm kind of looking forward to that. And Anna yeah. Karenina and so, you know, there's these sort of, you know, whatever, I don't mean the Canon, but just my own personal Canon of big, important books that I should get to. Uh, yeah. And then also reading a lot just to stay in shape. You know, I should read this, et cetera. But yeah, I do have to sort of consciously remind myself, take it easy. Why don't you just spend the afternoon reading tales of a fourth grade nothing, man, and <laughs> relax, you know, <laughs> like the way, that, the way that reading was like, it's really, I sort of, I don't know about you, and I'd be interested to hear how you feel about this. I often read now for not only to learn about stuff because there are so many gaps in my knowledge, but also to to learn how to write. You know, that's I pick books very specifically so that I can get mm-hmm. better at writing. And I don't read to escape or to relax as much as I used to when I first fell in love with reading. And it's kind of weird to suddenly just read a book only for pleasure, right? Just mm-hmm. like whatever they, you know, beach books or whatever they're called, always with that sort of disdainful, you know, put down they're for morons, but do you know what I mean? Just to relax with it. Again, it doesn't have to be crap. It just, yeah. Yeah. Not something you're going to for instruction. Do you have mm. anything like that? I, I mean, what is your reading? Like, do you, do you swerve between <laughs> difficult instructional yeah. and pleasure? Yeah. To- yeah, completely. And I, I always have like, whenever I'm writing, I always have a list of, um, like I, I always, maybe, maybe you do this too. Like I always find, um, like I have a list of like running books that are out there that are comparable in maybe story and 
structure and genre like and just just wait you know what i mean so i'm mm-hmm. just kind of voraciously trying to consume everything that's out there that's like what i'm writing mm. it's kind of like research you know just to see how other people are dealing with you know whether it's the same themes or genres that you're dealing with in your writing um mm. so i yeah and and thankfully like i'm not writing i you know i i don't write uh, i don't want to say this i I mean, I, there's a, there's a le- there's like a level of commercialism to some of this, like to what I write. Like, I look at, if I look at Prairie Bridesmaid, like it's it 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 has some really um, serious themes, but I think it it rides a bit of a commercial line as well. So, I'm always intrigued with books that can do both. Like, I mean, you mentioned Stephen King. I think he's like a really good example of someone who's an excellent writer, but he also has has commercial like wide appeal. Yeah. You know, like, um, I just have, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him. Me too. Um, yeah. So I'm, I don't know. So yeah, I'm always trying to, you know, like, as opposed to like, I'm not, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm not a poet, right. So I'm not writing, I'm not reading, you know, I do enjoy poetry and I actually do read poetry and I have lo- many poet friends. So like, I love poetry, but it's not like what I'm, it's not like what I'm reading to, for work purposes or for research purposes per se, because mm. I'm not a poet. And so maybe that takes a little of the pressure off because to have to read poetry all the time would be, you know, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah. Well, I, and it's, so I get to read it and I just enjoy it versus, you know, yeah. Like you're talking about when you're just always reading with like an eye for something, or you're looking for, you're always just looking for something as opposed to just like relaxing and just dipping into a book for the joy of reading. Yeah. Yeah. Two more writerly questions. Sure. What what kind of writing routine do you have? I know you've got two sort of young kids, so a lot of your day is probably taken up with that. But do you have a, a writing routine? Are there certain things that yeah. need to be in place? Or can you just write any place, any time? Or, or how does it work for you? Yeah, when I'm in, like when I'm working on something and I ha- sort of have a deadline that I'm actually respecting, which doesn't happen often, <laughs> um, I, I find I get up at like, 5 a.m. and I I can usually get like like first thing in the morning at that hour. It's a witching hour. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be like a 5 a.m. person ever. Um, but I can if I'm committed, then I will and I'll go for long periods of time where I'll do this. I'll I'll wake up at five and I'll write till eight or so till everybody starts like emerging from their their dens here and kind of getting ready for school and all of that. But it gives me like three hours of, I would say creation time. And then once everybody's out the door, I then maybe we'll do more like editing um, later in the morning. And, and I find when I, it's like, I'm really fresh first thing in the morning. And then, um, and then I work in the afternoon. So I, I feel very constricted with my time right now. So uh, I teach, yeah, I'm teaching uh, some high school English and writing class classes. So yeah. Um, mm. so, yeah. 5 a.m. <laughs> do you like the editing part? I do. Actually, it's interesting. I've had to really learn how to not edit. I, I've like, a, a, I'm um, a neurotic over editor sometimes. Like I, for, for like the first whole part of my writing career, I wouldn't let myself go forward unless I really polished and edited what I had done. And then I will only let myself go forward. And I've kind of changed that where now I just make myself write a really bad draft and then mm. I go back through it and I don't know, I'm interested to know always what other people do, but it's, you know, I think it's more productive to just move forward and yeah, not edit until you've got it completed. Like I'm writing a script, a play right now with a co-writer and we have these ridiculous deadlines and we, 
I have to turn in scenes. Sometimes I'm finishing a scene like 15 minutes before we meet and I have to turn it over. And like five years ago, I would have thrown up if I had to do that. And now it's just like, it's just what we do. And, and, um, and it's actually, it's not the worst, you know? And, Mm. and uh, yeah. And then we're editing each other's stuff and it's more collaborative, but yeah. The last literary question I have for you is when you're writing, you know, when you get up at five, five to eight or whatever it is, do Mm. you listen to music while you're writing? Um, yeah. Interesting question. Some, so sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, I'd say when I'm doing like nonfiction, so if writing like an essay or something or something for a magazine, I don't, but if I'm writing fiction and, um, uh, there's like a mood that I trying to create, then I will listen to music while I'm writing it creating like world building and creating my fiction world and writing about my character. Yeah. I will listen to like, I remember for my last book, I was, it's like Phoebe Bridgers. I just got, you know, really, there was a few artists and I just kept coming back to them. Even actually weaker than this kind of made my playlist for, but yeah, for fiction, um, creating and building mood. I definitely listen. Hmm. What about you? I, yes. But when I was younger, you know, I would just put on whatever I was interested in at the time and it would just play in the background nonstop. You know, I was mostly writing letters anyway. Like when I was in Zimbabwe, I would just play whatever my favorite record was over and over and over again while I wrote letters to people, which um, was good and bad. It was good in, in that when I listen to those records now, they still feel like I can still get a whiff of those rooms and times, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That portal back to 1990, that's fantastic. The bad part is that those letters are so infused with that music. Like I'm quoting the lyrics and like it's, <laughs> I, can, I can tell what I'm listening to just the, by the way I'm writing. You know, this is clearly yeah. an REM letter and this is clearly a <laughs> Paul Simon letter and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I will put on, if I'm at home and I'm, there's no, there are no distractions in my room, Probably not. But if I'm at work and I need to focus and there are people around and um, Japanese people are really terrible about talking to themselves. So there's <laughs> there's a lot of really annoying chatter around. Then I'll, I am too. I that. <laughs> I'll put on, oh man, yesterday the art teacher was fucking with the photocopier and she couldn't get it. She couldn't figure it out. That just meant half an hour of her going, eh? right which was I, I would just be the English version of that, I swear <laughs> it was excruciating you know if if you're alone at home dealing with something, go ahead, say whatever you want to yeah, but yeah, yeah. when you're in an office full of full of Jason Emdy trying to write something, stop it with it <laughs> for half an hour, so yeah, then I'll put on music, but it 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 needs to be instrumental. I find, uh, mm-hmm. I put on movie soundtracks a lot. Cause I find, find those are quite oh, yeah. interesting. Can't be star Wars or, or Godfather or something, but I do mm-hmm. like, uh, what's his name? Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. He does, he makes oh, yeah. really extraordinary soundtracks for, uh, uh, for, for Paul Thomas Anderson movies and so on. So yeah, I'll put those on and then that works really well. But if it's mm. pop music that I really like, you know, then I just, I'm writing about Raspberry Berets and, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. USSR, yeah, it doesn't work. 
let's get to some of your early shit. Daddy, okay. what, what have you got? Um, okay, well, I was I was a big I am a big journaler, um, like diary keeper. And I have um I just was looking, just trying to find something to read in. I apparently have, you know, like a hundred journals full of like drivel i think <laughs> what age what age did you start i i started at i want to say this is like age 11 maybe mm. i have this journal from when i was 11 years old um and so yeah it's not it certainly doesn't uh illuminate anything about my future career as a writer let me say <laughs> so it probably illuminates something about your future career. Well, it, yeah, it'll, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. What is it? What does it say about you? That's let's let's psychoanalyze eleven-year-old yeah. Daria. It, yeah, it says like yeah, it says nothing about me. Like it's so funny. It just I was apparently infatuated with boys, and um, mm. yeah, and and it's very. Um, like it's just really it's really matter of fact and is this just, the first time you've looked at it since you wrote it do you think uh yeah i pulled it out like my mom I, my like my mom gave it to me a couple of years ago and i think i just flipped through it for like a minute but i didn't really i didn't really read i just read the first page and i was like oh god i can't read this <laughs> like i think i handed it off to my daughter because she was around the same age and she's a little horrified because <laughs> she's just like this is not what me and my friends talk about like she's the same age now as i was when i wrote this journal and it's interesting because maybe it's because she traveled around the world but she's much more worldly and and we have like i don't know it's interesting like we have you know fairly in in depth and complex like conversations around the table these days about things and maybe that's just a like it could just be a commentary though on the world um, yeah. And that's what I was wondering, like, you know, I only have my own kids really as a reference. I teach older kids, like 17 year olds. And there's the gamut. You've got kids who are really deep and retrospective and or introspective, sorry, and kids who are not. Right. But um, but I just wonder about like this would have been around 1980, 82 or something like that. And I wonder whether it was just that it was a more worry free world like mm. And I wonder now, like, we're just, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's a war going on. And I don't know, I should figure out or look back and see what was happening in 19, I guess it would be about 1983. Well, but 1984. Like, if you're 11 on? or so, you know, you probably don't care. That's the boring stuff on the news, right? That you you want to yeah, take your TV table elsewhere and go write in your journal, right? Right. And maybe that's where you were, you just get to be you. Okay, so doozy number one here is just um, I'm 12, maybe 11, and um, this is my diary. Okay. I think you'll realize how profound I am when you hear mm. this. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay. Dear diary, uh, I'm going to the farm where my grandmother lives for a couple of days. I love it at the farm. And on the way, uh, and on the way in the car, we passed a really cute guy. P.S. I forgot my diary. I'll see you on the 4th. January 4th, uh, I came home from the farm and grabbed a bite to eat and left for my best friend Heidi's for a sleepover. We talked about our boyfriends. Hers is Dave Shakowich. We even uh, cried. Mine's, uh, oh, sorry, Heidi's in a fight with David, and I'm not sure 
Kirk still loves me. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Kirk I'm not still sure Kirk still me. loves me. That's a great yeah. title for something. That is actually there. You go. I should title my next. <laughs> I love my next sex tape. Um, yes. Did I tell you my teacher, Mr. Hampton, grew a beard? He looks like a werewolf. Uh, oh, okay. January sixth. Today was Ukrainian Christmas Eve. We had twelve dishes. In the evening, I opened my presents. I got a dollar sixty, a sweater, a curling iron, and cabbage pat clothes after that uh sorry after that we left for home we were at the farm then uh we went to midnight mass and it was from 11 till 1 30 we got home at 2 a.m sorry this is january 8th i've got some bad news you know kirk wasn't at school yesterday or today i phoned him and he's got a really bad cold otherwise things are okay no big problems besides one of my teachers giving me too much homework and I'm just going to flip flip to one more. I want to hear here's more about again. Kirk. Yeah, well, here's a good one. Fe- February okay. 4th. You'll never guess what happened today. This kid, Randy's got a crush on me and asked if I'll go out with him. But I told him I still like Kirk. I said, if Kirk said he hated me, then I would go out with him. I said, I doubt it. But he paid Kirk to say he hated me anyway. So I'm mad at Kirk for taking the dollar. He told me he'd use the money. As for Randy, he treats me like a queen. I could take advantage of the situation, but I won't. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> so Randy paid Kirk a dollar. To say he hated me. And the, there, there's like the whole journal up until that point is just um, just per, per, this obsession about Kirk, Kirk McManus. Like, is right. he okay? He's sick. He wasn't at school again today. I'm Kirk, so worried Kirk, about Kirk. Kirk. And then... The, his pal are they friends yeah. these i guess pays him a dollar to say he hates you like to make yeah. it official you have to say yeah. like yeah in the playground like in the playground yeah i hate daria oh <laughs> she's know. all yours you can have her <laughs> holy smoke yeah, I just I just find it funny the the, the the it's a it's a year of um and there and there's a lot like there's a yeah there's a lot about um this boy Kirk McManus. So what is um, what is so striking to me is that we thought girls were very mysterious and mystical when I you know when I was eleven or twelve. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize that you could just pay someone a buck to say something and she's all yours. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't seem mad about that. You know, you're like, oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't at all. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, well, I'll go out. I guess I'll go with you, Randy, whatever. (laughs) So much for Kirk. Well, I, I think Kirk, I think, I think it became clear to me that things were, uh, things were like on the rails with Kirk or things weren't going well. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't mm. that inch anymore. And so, yeah, <laughs> but I didn't want to read it all. There's like pages and pages of me pining about Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> 11 or 12. So this is grade six, maybe. I think it's grade six or five, five or six. Yeah. yeah. Probably six. I think six. Yeah. 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 I had my first serious crushes in grade five four five six sure what was it about kirk that was uh appealing because i mean i don't know how kids date now they know everything about each other yeah access yeah. to all their photographs and their instagram and everything they're posting constantly right but people were a very a great mystery when i was in we're about the same age so yeah 
I remember having like a telephone in my, in my room. And I remember talking on the phone, you know, for, for hours, for hours. Did you have your yeah. own line? No, no I didn't, but not. I did have that line where, you know, you could click the button and then you could take another call, you know, like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so like you would be on the phone with Kirk, but then like Heidi would call. So then you had to make a decision. Like, right. yeah, <laughs> I just remember. Well, I remember lots of things about those early days of phones. Yeah. But it, the, the phone in the kitchen and curling it around into the dining room where it was dark yes. and sitting there <laughs> and talking to my grade 11 girlfriend for hours, but it would also be sometimes just silence yeah. for 30 seconds. And then mm -hmm. you would say the, what are you thinking about Lisa? <laughs> and she, <laughs> right. And she would say, and I was just thinking about how much I like you. You like stuff, you know, very innocent and yeah. protracted and very important because you go, I was thinking the same thing. Okay. And, and then, then my your mom, mom picks up yes, on the yeah, other yeah. end. Get off the phone. <laughs> well, I need to call Betty. You've yeah, been yeah. on the phone for two hours, Jason. Get <laughs> off the line. And go, yeah. Okay. Lisa. Okay. Um, I like you a lot. Okay. Bye. See you tomorrow at school. And then you go and, lie on your bed for two hours going yeah she said she liked me that was great right and was maybe awesome. a couple of bad poems would come out of it or whatever yeah it was terrific but it was also mysterious because when your parents <laughs> got you off the phone that was the end of it yeah I, couldn't, yeah I couldn't go check her instagram or her facebook or her twitter or whatever i didn't know what she was thinking wearing eating or doing at all until. I know. I was just talking about this with my students today, and it's like, yeah, they were just saying how hard it would have been, like, you know, back then. I'm talking like we're old, I guess we are. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were just, yeah, are. They're, they're 17. And, and so they're, yeah, like, you know, they're, you know, well, what do you think? Like meeting you, on Tinder. And <laughs> do you think it's better? now or worse i mean i i guess that's a dangerous question because you know it does invite it was way better when i was young which is yeah so tedious and you know that's what everybody says but i mean what do you oh, think it's gotta be better now i think like yeah. i mean i don't know uh yeah maybe like for that like uh, yeah it was just so I mean, we're talking about like your mom picking up. I remember being my grandmother's and she had a party line. Do you know what that is? A party line is like yeah. when the whole, all the farms in the yes. area share the same phone. So I, I didn't call my boyfriend very much. My grandma, some of it's been like a few days out there. So maybe make a quick call to Kirk, see how he's doing. Yeah. And then yeah. like Harry Boggs from down the road is picking up the line. <laughs> you know, like it's like 10 and times. listening in on. Like wow. Listening in. And, and you can tell they don't click up, like they don't click right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I mean, just when I think about all of that, I'm like, oh, it's got to be easier now. They can just connect directly to each other. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. There, there's maybe less of that awkward, you know, whatever that awkward teenage experience is. I, well, I guess teenage experience is going to be awkward anyway. I, I right. just wonder if it's, I don't know. When I went to Zimbabwe, for a year in 1989, 1990, this is again, pre-internet and the phone connections were very dodgy, right? And right. Very, so expensive that it was a sort of once every two well, months, move, you know, yeah. once, you know, um, it was letters back and forth, right? So I'd write a letter to my best friend or my girlfriend and it would take mm -hmm. three weeks to get to them. And 
they would ruminate for a week and then three weeks back, right? So you're in a perpetual state of, you know, expectation. Yes. I, I just remember rushing out to the mailbox every day, you know, don't know nothing. Oh, and then when letters wow. came, they were fantastic, you know. Yeah. I miss that, actually. Yeah. And I, I, it's not as remote. I lived up north and it was like the same. There was, it was 1995 or six and there wasn't email yet. It was just starting and no one had an email. And it was the same writing letters. So I get that idea of being really isolated and like going to the, I remember going to the mail, but yeah, you're just desperate for communication from people that you care about. Yeah. But it was because you're desperate for it, it was so satisfying when you got it, right? Yeah handwritten yeah little things scribbled on the envelope maybe you know whatever it would be so beautiful and personal yeah i I do miss those days handwritten letters might be like make my top 10 list of like life experiences like just things i'm glad things i'm glad to have experienced in this life like it's that it's very hot Can I read one little page here? Uh, yes, is that please. okay? Okay, yes. and you can you can edit it out. It's totally fine. What is it? Um, it's just this is the this was my first ever morning page. Okay. Oh, um, great. Yeah. How old are you yeah. at this time, man? So this is I'm older. I'm in my 20s. So this is gonna be like 25 years ago. Um. Okay. So I'm yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So a lot like are we up like a. <laughs> audibly announce my age but I'm in my late oh, yeah. 40s yeah, and this cares. is written in my mid mid to late 20s so this is for sure 20 25 years ago okay and um yeah it's those morning pages and so I just uh I just I'm just, was just intrigued because it, be, it becomes there's just some key things in here that, that triggered a book so um week one day one uh it is morning and I'm officially starting the morning pages this is an intimidating process must find things to say uh, I started the artist way last night and I am pretty excited about it. I think I am blocked in more ways than one. When I bought this book at McNally Robinson, Brian, he's my boyfriend at the time, Brian scoffed at me and said, you need a book to tap into your creativity. Puh. And while I was reading the first chapter, he kept asking if I had unlocked my creativity yet. Um, and what do I have to do to unlock my creativity? Uh, how does one person judge how another seeks this? seeks fulfillment oh well i discovered uh the book from Lori lamb who i took a class from the other night on writing it is part of a larger basic filmmaking course which i'm really enjoying and glad and for which i'm glad i enrolled i love taking classes and i love learning i'm not used to writing my hands get tired and i wonder if we're allowed to type in the morning these morning pages i doubt it Brian's interview for the Bahamas job is tomorrow. I really hope he gets it. I have a lot of faith resting on this. I desperately need to recover my independence. It feels like it's been so long since I've acted entirely freely and not worried about what someone else would think. I've made a commitment to myself one way or another to get my life in order and never fall into this well of compromise again. The whole thing is kind of scary and also very exciting. Things I want to do, get my script produced, make a documentary this summer and begin writing a book. I finished the script script but i've wanted to do these other things for so long and i know i can do it i know it (laughs) oh man up there yeah (laughs) number one fuck brian (laughs) prairie brides me it's like it's so 
yeah, it's funny because it's like, yeah, it's like those comments, eh? Like, and I wouldn't, those wouldn't even have been on my radar had I not written them down. Isn't that like that? That was the least of it, right? And yes, yeah, like, so it's like those are, but that's interesting because it's those little subtle things that right. people say that cut you down that you don't notice. You, you only get to that point where you notice like the really big things. Yeah, that's what's sort of really interesting is that you're, this is your boyfriend and he's saying, ah, what's the matter with you? You need a notebook. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's really interesting. That's like that creative young Daria yeah. hobbled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess you can see the ambition there too, right? Yeah. What you want to do is going to take you away from assholes like Brian and mm -hmm. Toward doing an MFA, however many years later, right? <laughs> like the I love learning thing. It's like, oh, that's so interesting that I I stated that I love learning. And then, you know, even 20 years, it took me that long to go and right. do an MFA, but it did it. All that stuff that, yeah, old journals, old letters, old poems or whatever it is, where you go, this is what I thought was okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, good yeah. or bad. This is normal. This is all right. Uh, yeah. And what was interesting was like, I, it's a, it was such a godsend that I did those um, pages during um, at that time, because like the, the, that literally um, that guided me out of that relationship. And mm. those, like, like I said before, those pages became the foundation of my book, but like, I'm, I'm actually not sure if I didn't have a record of, you know, like this is just day one, but it would, it would go on for years actually. And be, to be able to flip through that and to see it documented, like you can't deny it. You can't deny things when they're written on the page in front right, of you right. as the truth that you saw and you were living. And mm. that's fascinating because I don't think, I think you can deny things when you don't write them down or you can convince yourself that they didn't happen that way, or you can, you can be gaslit by someone and they can convince you that they didn't happen that way. But like, having those words on these pages was was um really extraordinary um and like we were talking about before you know we just our brains seem to be hardwired to drop out the crap parts right you know yeah remember the the cool days you know well, the, it's like the good it's dates like, or whatever yeah. it is yeah it's like childbirth though right like you don't remember like your brain doesn't remember like the reason we continue to have babies is because your brain is programmed to not remember the pain. Right. Like you only remember the great things about that day you gave birth, your first child. So then you go and do it like two, three, four more times. But like, if you remember how terrible it you was. You would like, never do it again yet. No, you would never do it again. Like, and I sort of see that as, you know, with, with the same with relationships, like you just tend to just gloss over that negative stuff and, and focus Unless on. Unless you're a writer and you've written it down and it's there it is. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You cannot deny it. You cannot escape it. It is there in front of you. Yeah. And so that's what, and, and, but you have to go back and look at it. And I think that, so the, the start was like looking at it and then realizing, I think that was too, was the, you know, the, the morning pages really captured the cycle of abuse so well in real time. And so I felt like at the time, like I really want to write a book so that people get like, cause I just, you know, you just look at people in those situations and you're like, Oh, for the love of Pete, just leave them. Oh, I said it again. For fuck's sake, just leave them. <laughs> uh, just, just go, just get out. And so, you know, but 
yeah, that's, that's just not how it works. And so, you know, I kind yeah. of thought like, oh, if I could, if I could create this, this work of art that somehow made it understandable to people who weren't in that situation, that would be like my mm. main yeah. objective, which is sort of what I feel like I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so interesting that putting down of how you actually feel, you can read your old journals and so on and mm -hmm. be embarrassed at how bad the language is or whatever, but just to reconnect to what, if you were trying in any way to be honest at the time. Yeah. And it comes back to our thing about editing that we were talking about. Like, like, I don't even, I don't even look at the writing there. I just look at like the ideas. Right. And right. Yes. The ideas yeah. and the feelings and the th what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a exactly. yeah. As long as there's truth and honesty in the writing, I think all the rest can be fixed. That's very well put. Yes, as long mm -hmm. as there's truth and honesty, the rest can be fixed. Man, you nailed the it. Title. That, there's the title. There's the <laughs> there's the new master class. <laughs> but it's true. No, you're right. As long as it's honest and uh, detailed. Yeah, the rest can be fixed later. I think you're you're right. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I don't think I could convince my kids to keep honest, detailed journals. Now, I don't think they'd be interested. They wouldn't do it. Why do you think that? Partly because they're not used to writing all the time. Mm -hmm. They're also going. Look at Dad just with his notebooks all the time. Who cares? That's not fun. Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to have to, all that shit I'm going to have to read when he dies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should kid ourselves. Our kids are reading anything we wrote. Let's go do something fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. When my dad dies, I, I will read everything I can find, actually. Yeah. Yes. And fascination. Actually, it's true. When my mom passed away, I, I should have read, like, I wish I had one. I should have read my mom's journal. Like, I I didn't know my mom was, like, had a capacity or an interest in writing. And after she passed away, I kind of just read. She didn't keep journals, but she kept, she traveled and she kept travel journals. And, oh, my word, I was just blown away by it. I just mm. didn't know she had a voice. And she really did. And, like, oh. I just, yeah. And, and it was, I didn't know till after she died. I should have talked to her about it more when she was living. Yeah, so right. you should maybe talk to your dad about that stuff. Like, well, still here. It was yet another off the beaten track recommendation we'd received from an angry German in Samoa. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines <laughs> from your book. <laughs> from rob say like somewhere no, to that's go. from you no no oh, it's from me yeah. oh that's funny <laughs> what was the recommendation for i don't remember I don't, who cares okay. I just oh like that's funny an angry german in samoa uh <laughs> another line of yours that i really liked a lot was i had a barfy hallmark moment watching them i think that's when your kids are swimming with dolphins or something but i loved barfy hallmark moment <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> like what is really uh, enjoyable about that book is just how sort of unpretentious you and your husband are. And you just think, wow, we had this crazy idea and it was crazy most of the time. And we didn't know what we were doing most of the time. And we hope we didn't fuck up our kids too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
just summed off that book like perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much how it went down. <laughs> okay, I have two questions about that book. Yeah. The first question is, did you think you were going to get a book out of it? Was that in the back of your mind, even when you were planning doing it? No, like, honestly, no. Like, when we were planning it, we were just... um we just decided we were just going to do this. And, uh, I was, I was doing a blog at the time, which blogs like as much, I kind of complain about blogs cause they, they suck up a lot of time and they don't like, they're just, you have no idea what, what they, who reads them. Like you could just be writing for yourself basically. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I kept this blog, which was like a funny, just bullshit thing about our lives. And, and, and so then we were sort of planning this trip and I kind of just wrote about it and I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And then Turnstone actually reached out because they had read the, they were following the blog and then they, they were interested in like seeing if we would be willing to write about this adventure. And so we, when we planned it, we didn't know we were writing a book, but by the time we were going on it, we knew we were writing a book, which mm-hmm. added a little bit of pressure to it because, you know, it was, we had to keep track of what was like, it was just such a gong show. It's like, oh, now we got to write a book about this gong show. Unreal. Right. <laughs> this is a terrible did, you idea. Keep, did you keep pretty, you know, were you constantly writing stuff in notebooks the whole time? Yeah, I was keeping a journal and um, writing, writing on my blog during the trip. So that was tricky though, because I didn't want to put, like, I couldn't have the same material on the blog as on the book. So it kind of was always like, what do I write? Where, what do I keep for what? Like, so I always felt like with the book, there was an arc. And so I would just keep things that fit into the arc of what we were doing. And then with the blog, it would often just be like funny, like stupid, like the lice story, which ended up making the book anyway, but I would just write about goofy weird thing like yeah things that happened when you were working on the book did you read a lot of other travel writers uh some yeah not a ton i know actually wayne grady our our professor that we shared and did you read yeah his book about traveling on the states with his yeah they and him yeah. Alternate uh, chapters, right? Yes, yes, yes. And and Rob and I weren't sure how our book was going to work because we didn't know we didn't know when we left on the trip. We just knew we were writing a book, but we didn't know how it was going to work. Right. And so yeah, I read their book where it was alternating chapters, and you knew she was writing when the chapter started with the letter of her name, and right. then he was yes. writing when the chapter started. Yeah. And so yeah, that was really good. That was good. So I read that. I was. Super Did you helpful. think about doing that? Alternating chapters with your yeah. Husband? We thought about alternating chapters. We thought about like so many ways of doing this book and we had no idea. And, and just for anybody listening or if this makes whatever, um, but the book is a, is a flip book, right? So you read, you read one, you read to the middle and then you flip over the book and you read to the middle and it's my perspective and then mm. Rob's perspective, but it's a reversal. So, and I think that how that came about was just like the, the we, we started off with, we were very like, you read the book, right? We're very different people, very different perspectives about travel and how we approach life. So it was like this idea with this trip of like starting from opposite places and meeting in the middle. And so when you read this book, you're, you're starting from one side, you're reading to the middle and mm. you flip over and you're starting from one side, you're reading to the middle. And you really had, we really had to come together. Like, cause in the, yeah, like, I think you referenced this before, like when it's like, seriously, your research for this trip is like <laughs> eating spring rolls and, and whatever. Like, yeah. that's how you're learning about Asia. Um, you know, that's my approach to anything is just wing it. There was one part where you said, and I found this really interesting and relatable. We said, I don't, think we had an argument 
the whole time, and this is you and your husband. I mean, yeah. I think the kids argued a lot, but yeah. it was the same with my father and I in Shikoku. I, we didn't contend. You don't have time to argue. Once. You don't have time to argue. Hey, like you just you got a plan. You sort of taught me. Like there's not even an like yeah. So Where are we going to sleep? Where are we, we going to eat? What are we going to? Who's dealing with these children? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's funny because I think that still sustains us. Like we just, um, you know, whatever happened on that trip, like not that like we argued much before, but just, you know, that, yeah, I don't know for whatever reason, I think that trip we've just even since then, you know, we're, we're several years beyond it now where I think we're often just, still on the same page because now it's like, well, regardless of whether you're surviving a country you've never been in where you don't speak the language and you don't have a place to stay. Like, I think we just approach that in our day-to-day life where we're just trying to survive life. And if we don't stay on the same page, it's so much harder. Like, I just don't get why people argue. Like, like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's weird. yeah, for me, it's very simple. You know, if you're fighting with your spouse all the time, you married the wrong person. Yes, exactly. That's so true. But it's not a common, you know. No, it's not at all. You're right. Most people don't marry the right person. And travel is a good way to test that, you know. It is. To see how, how how do you work? How do you fit together? Especially with kids. I mean, I still think you're out of your mind, but... Yeah, but kids is so much more complicated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, this is short. Okay, so, so uh, my this childhood... This is your first ever blog post, did you say? Yes, like oh. one of the first couple, yeah. So it's about eight years old, like I think maybe 20, 2013, 2014, something like mm. that. Before you yeah. got your master's, so you didn't know oh, what yeah, you yeah. were doing. Oh, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, very long time before I got my <laughs> master's, yeah. And I, yeah, published one book. and Just an amateur. I was an amateur. Yeah. So rock, uh, my childhood bully was a 10 pound rooster. Rocky was an asshole. He terrorized me for an entire summer, all 10 pounds and one foot of him. My kids and I were talking about how we were supposed to stand up to bullies. And my seven-year-old son asked me if I'd ever been bullied. Well, not exactly, not by another kid, but there was this one summer when my life was made a living hell by Rocky the rooster. Rocky was worse than any schoolyard bully. And he was my Baba's pet. Whenever Rocky saw my Baba coming out of the house, he'd go running toward her and follow her around until she put him up on his, uh, she put him up on his perch beside her face. That's right. The fucking thing used to ride around on her shoulder. What kind of rooster rides around on a person's shoulder? (laughs) A rooster with twisted attachment issues. If he were a person, he'd be dubbed a stalker and slapped with a restraining order. My Baba, however, was touched by Rocky's affection and took a real shining to him. So we all had to put up with Lord Rocky. When I showed up at the farm, Rocky saw me as some sort of threat. He'd run at me. uh, He'd run at me if I went anywhere near him, his chicken coop or my Baba. I was terrified of him and I could smell and he could smell my fear. He wasn't big, but he was fierce. He had black eyes, shiny dark feathers, a sharp beak and gnarly claws. Go collect the eggs, my Baba said. I can't. That rooster wants to kill me. Oh, for Pete's sake, <laughs> go get the eggs. If Pete's Rocky sake. bothers you, yes, yep. for Pete's sake. There it is. That's where I learned it. If Rocky bothers you, just chase him away. 
my dad did this all the time. Rocky would run at him, but he'd be met with my dad's work boot and sent flying. I couldn't do that. So I just gave Rocky a wide berth. Today, Rocky wasn't anywhere in sight and I had to get the damn eggs. So I crept to the chicken coop, scooped the eggs out of the nest as fast as I could. Of course, I forgot to bring a crate. So they were all piled up into my folded shirt. I had just finished collecting the eggs. I turned to leave. Rocky appeared in the doorway. Shit. He lowered his head, puffed himself up, and started scratching the straw with his claws. I'm going to fuck you up, is what he was thinking. Yep, I was going to be the first seven-year-old in history to die by rooster. I dropped all of the eggs. Rocky closed in on me. I screamed. My dad was nearby working on his tractor. He came over when he heard me screaming, picked Rocky up, gave him a good flogging, and pitched him aside. I ran back to the house covered in eggs and tears. I never went back to the chicken coop for the rest of the summer. I never faced Rocky. He won. The next spring, Rocky wasn't around. I didn't ask what happened to him. I didn't care. He was gone. My kids laugh hysterically at this story. They are mean children. Of course, now, if I ever had the chance to face that rooster again, I'd kick his ass to the moon and back. As a seven-year-old, I didn't think about the fact that I was bigger and stronger and smarter than that 10-pound Sunday dinner. I couldn't get past the beak, the eyes, the claws. I couldn't get past the fear. It's easy as adults to tell kids to stand up to bullies. It's not always easy to stand up to a bully when you're a kid. And then there's a picture of my grandmother, (laughs) Rocky's like on her shoulder. Covered in eggs and tears. Yeah. (laughs) It's a nightmare. It's one of my (laughs) total nightmares. Wake up covered in eggs and tears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like good. It's like it's also it keeps keeps I keep coming back to that farm. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Always going back, right? Always going back. It just pulls me back. Like I just, I, I feel like I get away and then I'm just like, I write something and the farm is just shows up in it and pulls me right back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Daria, okay. Thank you. I mean, um, our, our one hour chat is now, you know, well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no need to apologize again. I loved it. I've great loved it. to chat with you. What I'm going to do is uh, just stop recording. Yeah. But don't hang up just yet. Okay. 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 All right. Hold on. Many thanks to Daria for her time and for sharing some of her early shit. Many thanks also, and as always, to DJ Max in Tokyo for the music, Wayne MD for the artwork, Joe MD for help with the intro, Sasha MD for help with the outro, and every single one of you who listens to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, there are various ways to support the podcast if you'd like to. That's all in the show notes. Back in two weeks with more early shit. See you then. Sasha, did you think that episode was interesting? A little bit. Do you want to come on as a guest one day? No, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.